Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. Hi there, friends of the Holy Shenanigans podcast. It is almost Easter, and it's time for a conversation about gratitude, but also a conversation about looking for life in times of sorrow and challenge and sadness. As we were walking through Holy Week, I wanted to peel back a little bit and talk about this passion in a different way. And I'm so thankful to have Roger Hutchison here with me to talk about not just one book, but two books that he has been working on. Sparrow's Prayer, and that is already out. And then also The Art of Calm. But first, welcome, Roger. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, Tara, thank you so much for the invitation. I am honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. There's a Benedictine statement that for me has been really helpful when it comes to living in challenging times. And just with the idea of prayer, um, sometimes prayer practices have been so formalized in our lives that it's hard for us to just pray in in practical terms. Um, But the statement that was shared with me was everything is prayer. Even to the point that uh, a long time ago, I would go visit a friend out in the Midwest and she had this wonderful chalkboard that was over her sink. And whenever I would stay with her, I would try to like tidy her kitchen as a thank you before I left. And I wrote on her chalkboard, there are always dishes and there's always prayer. Because for me, that space at the kitchen sink where there's always some dishes to be done became a place of prayer for me. And so that was my everything is prayer place. But I'd like to hear more about your spiritual practices that have brought you to a different understanding about prayer and how this connects with these two books that you're sending out into the world. I really love your comment about the kitchen sink. 
in my life, my grandmother's kitchen table was really what I would consider my first memories of church. And as a child, we would gather around the table, hold hands, you know, prayers would be said and all of that. Why it was holy is just the colors of the tomatoes and and the okra and the being together. It wasn't in the church building, but that became sort of where prayer began to take root in me, that it was more than just words that were said, especially during COVID. And as we entered into that time, I began to do a lot of walking. I knew that I had to do what I could do to learn to see, not only to look at the world around me, but to see the world around me. And in doing so, I began to notice birds and I began to notice sort of how they interacted in the trees and with each other and all of that. And I began to think, you know, how do birds pray? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would take photographs and happen to capture them in a way that it looked like they were praying. And so I had this idea of a children's book called Sparrow's Prayer. And I imagined that this little bird woke up one morning and just didn't have the words to say, the words to sing, the, the thank you to say as he greeted the day. And so I began to think, what was that like? Then how could he learn that his prayer was still there, even though he didn't use words? Uh, just a gentle, sweet story as he moves through the day, talking to friends, helping friends do different things. The first friend he meets is a turtle who can't reach the blackberries. And so he was wanting to bake a pie for Fox, who was not doing well. And so he invited Sparrow to help him flap his wings to help him knock the blackberries down out of the bush. And then he moved on to his next friend, Mousy. And Mousy is an artist, and she is having a hard time figuring out what color the sky is to put in her painting. So Sparrow takes the brush and flies into the air and matches the blue paint to the color of the sky. The last kind of component of the book is Buck, who is a deer, and and Buck is dancing. And Sparrow's like, what are you doing? Um, Are you okay? And Buck says, I'm totally okay. This is how I pray. I dance. And so the book teaches us and reminds us that prayer doesn't always require words. and how freeing that is to know that sometimes when we wake up, and especially in the world we live in, often I wake up in the morning and I'm in a place of, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell the people I serve. I don't know how to enter the day with words. And so between painting or photography or walking or looking and seeing the world around me, singing, any of those things, that is prayer. And to learn that it's more than just kneeling beside your bed at night or holding hands around the table or bowing your head. Yeah. So prayer, this is a beautiful thing when you can enter it and it becomes a full body experience. Your sparrow story reminds me of a children's song going on a bear hunt. Oh, sure. But I pivoted it a little bit um, and I plan to share it this coming week and um, in worship to change it to going on a love hunt Ah. and to go on a love hunt, you know, you can't go over it. You can't go around it. You have to go through it. Yeah. And I think even though this very simple children's song chant to, you know, to entertain them is really quite profound 
if we can really listen to what's going on in that song. That was going to say, I think children's books and children's songs like that are often more powerful than any other kind of sermon we can offer or any other. I mean, you know, we have a parenting class and we've used children's books as the curriculum. No children in there, just parents. And it's been a beautiful way to struggle and explore some tough conversations. So I think that's a great idea. I love that. So that is going to be our theme here this week as we walk through Passion Week that we're going on a love hunt and that we're going to be walking together, woven together in community, looking for signs of life and spring, but also confessing those hard spaces that we experience as we think about Christ's journey through Passion Week as well. But I'm wondering, Roger, if you could tell me a little bit of background behind the Sparrow's Prayer and the Art of Calm. Yeah. Did this come out of a spiritual practice for you? We live in Houston, Texas, and in 2017, our community was impacted by Hurricane Harvey. Although we did not experience the loss of our home, we did experience some structural damage, and and it became a very symbolic experience for me. Our foundation began to crack in our home, and our home began to sink um, in the middle, and it did some significant damage. At that time, my own personal foundation began to crack, and I experienced what I would call a mental health break, where I ended up in the emergency room twice, thinking I was dying and thinking I was having a heart attack, thinking I had colon cancer. You know, it's amazing how mental health and brain and body are connected and how you feel that these physical symptoms are real. For about six months, a period of time of journeying into some really dark places and doing significant work with uh, a therapist and a psychiatrist. Uh, I'm a very giving person. And and what I learned is I often give too much. You know, Um, people like us who are involved in ministry and we interact and intersect with the most intimate places people journey, joyful, tragic, sad, all those things takes a lot of energy. And I discovered that I had given too much away and I needed to be better about caring for my own self, my soul. So this book, The Art of Calm, that comes out April the 18th, a month before Mental Health Month, which is in May, 30 small chapters that begin in prayer and end in prayer. They deal with things from hope and anger and forgiveness and joy and and all of these different sort of places but I tell a personal story uh, I think that people will recognize and identify with. And then I invite them into these practices, just a variety of different practices that I have found to be helpful to me. Our world is in an anxious place. Our world is in an unsettled place. And that's been really hard for everybody, all, all ages, children through adults. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish I would have learned some spiritual practices and exercises when I was six years old. It would have helped a lot along the way. And if I can offer that now, that's why I sort of do this thing of children's books to adult books. Right. We're all on the same kind of journey. And how the Sparrow's Prayer really is the manifestation of this book, The Art of Calm. They're sibling books, right? Uh, 100%. And what's interesting, I didn't think that as I was 
writing them. I didn't know that they were going to pair so well. That's been an amazing thing. I've gotten a lot of responses from folks from Spare's Prayer, and it's adults who are telling me they had tears in their eyes as they were reading the book to their children at night because it touched them so deeply. They had forgotten or had felt guilty because they hadn't been saying prayers, didn't know how to pray, or had lost inspiration. And by learning that just by being a loving parent or a, you know, the act of preparing a meal for their family, the act of uh, admiring nature around them or going for a walk and caring for their own bodies was also an act of prayer. It resonates with me too, Roger, that you know, when I was younger, having a very specific understanding of what prayer was, um, something I kind of had to unlearn, if that makes sense. It very much so. So I grew up on the highest elevation of the county in uh, northwestern Pennsylvania. So it was the woods of the woods. Uh. We had this right away. And a neighbor lady who lived there on the property who loved birds who would take me on walks and teach me about the songs of the birds. And as I got older, I could go on walks on the right of way myself. And the time I spent listening to bird songs, walking through the woods, climbing on rocks, there was one rock in particular, I think you'll appreciate this as an artist, that I would carry my sketch pad, bring my tape player, and I would climb to the top of the rock, And I would turn on, you know, the classical music and I would sit and I would draw in nature. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. You and I are soulmates in that sense. I I spent many a time by myself when I was younger in that way, in a beautiful space, trying to figure out, one, how to grow up, you know, and navigate being a teenager. And now I'm doing that at 50 years old, trying to figure out how to navigate this world. And uh, for me, it has become going for walks in the woods and listening to birds and trying to reconnect with the world, ground myself in the presence and not spend so much time worrying or wondering what if or because I'm going to miss out. That's what tends to happen. I miss out in the beauty that is right here right now. Mm -hmm. And so now those gratitude practices are something I've been encouraging folks to live into throughout the season of Lent. Mm -hmm. But well beyond the season of Lent, those noticings of bits of spring or joy or hope in the world has been a gratitude practice of mine for over 10 years now and really has been a centering thing for me, especially when things are hectic and crazy Mm -hmm. or overwhelming things in the world I can't make sense of, you know, acts of violence or grief that is beyond, beyond, um, and Some may think that those are very small things, but to me, they are huge. They're life-giving. I try to define over the past, say, four or five years how I have felt, and it's been Mm soul-weary. Soul-weary. That's kind of a thing that I've, I've held on to. And I did encounter and create and experience some practices that really have been powerful for me. I'd love to share one of them. This is something that I think people could do in their own home easily. Get some paper and some paint. And what I would ask folks to do is create. Don't worry about how beautiful the final product is. That's not what this It's the process of creating a painting, representation, artistic expression, 
of sort of where your life has been until this point. Okay, so your life kind of prior, say, to this Holy Week. Then, um, and this is the hard part for folks, once you've created that picture, let it dry, then turn it over. And then I want you to tear it into little pieces. Okay, so you've taken this image that you've created, you've put a lot of thought in, and you turn it over because if you don't turn it over, you're going to be picky how you tear it. I want you to tear it into a bunch of smaller pieces. Then what I invite you to do is on another piece of paper, put it back together in a new way. Create a collage of those pieces. And by the way, what is created is going to be so much more beautiful than what you had originally created. And so what you've just experienced when I hope that you feel this is that in the brokenness, in those spaces where life does not look the same as you expected it to, there's beauty, there's connection, there's new color and light, and and the shapes may not go exactly the way you thought they would. But what you have created is something beautiful out of the brokenness. I think it's a beautiful symbol for the week of Holy Week. It's sort of the breaking apart and then it's resurrection. We have here in Houston, the largest sober high school is located at our church. We have 70 plus teenagers who are all in treatment and recovering from addictions to all kinds of things. And I did this project with them. There were tears from these teenagers of just how profound it was to say, oh, my life has been broken, but it's still beautiful and I can create something new and hopeful out of it. Mm. And that to me is is such a beautiful example of resurrection. Yeah. I am so thankful that you shared a specific practice for people Mm -hmm. to try out. That, That has been my hope throughout the season of Lent that folks would hear what guests have to offer and that they would try them on. Yeah, exactly. Another one I do, I talk about baking your favorite cookie and sharing it with someone else. And then think about the people maybe the recipe came from. My favorite recipe came from my grandmother. It's a no-bake cookie. We call them Charlie Browns. And people call them other things, but it's oatmeal and peanut butter and sugar and milk and butter. Basically, you stir it up, heat it up, bring it to a boil, and then plop them out on a table. This cookie is very special to me. Uh, They connect me to my past. When somebody says, what do you hear when you hear the voice of God? I hear my grandmother's voice. Actually, in The Art of Calm, I included the recipe in the back of the book. It made my mom cry. It was her mom. And she was like, you included her recipe in the back of the book. It is pretty special. Could you say more about God's voice being the voice of your grandmother? I love that. Yes, certainly. So I do work with children. Uh, You know, that's one of the biggest things of my role at Palmer. And we're always talking about, you know, what does God look like? Or what does God sound like? Or does God have a voice? And one day we were talking about this and it popped into my mind, the memory that my grandfather had some vision problems. And so every night before they would go to bed, my grandmother would read Bible stories to him. He would sit there and listen. Most of the time he'd fall asleep. 
but she would read out loud so he could hear these stories. And when we would visit, I remember laying in the entrance to the bedroom on the floor in the hallway so I could hear her read to him. And so when I hear stories being read in church, I don't care who the reader is, I often hear my grandmother's voice. We'll be back after a quick break. Do as I say, not as I do. Are we that generation? Or are we doing and working on ourselves just as much as we work on the technology that we crave? Artificial intelligence and the concerns, I would say, were pretty valid. But the interesting thing about that is, is it valid because that's how we see ourselves? Are we are we looking at them, but then really seeing us? I hear my grandfather a lot because my grandfather, um, wonderful Welsh tenor. Oh. So whenever I hear his eyes on the sparrow, I hear my grandfather's voice and his laugh. Yes. I imagine as the laughter of God, not in a patriarchal sense, but just because of the great love and compassion and warmth and the creativity he gave to me. I felt seen and heard in all of my interactions with my grandpap. Yeah, I love that. And the other piece I'll share along those lines, too, is we have my grandmother. She was a quilter and she quilted these beautiful quilts. And I remember saying, I'm going to hang this one on the wall. And she said, I would climb out of my grave if I knew that you hung this quilt on the wall. I want you to use it. I want you to be comforted by it. And so we have like 50 quilts and people say, oh, you need to take care of them. I'm like, we are, we use them. And that's what she would have wanted. That's beautiful. What we've been talking about are ways to engage with the world around us, honoring our ancestors um, and living into spiritual practices of gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. So use that quilt that your grandmother made and said, you better use it. Mm-hmm. is really a great sermon. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that'll preach. That'll preach. <laughs> One of the things that I also write about in the book is we have her sewing box. And I won't open it very often because it still smells like her. And when I open it, it's all of her little buttons that she collected. It's it's thread that she had in there. It's all of her scissors and her things It's elastic that has lost its elasticity, but I smell her and I remember her and I feel her. It's just those holy things. I think I would never have noticed that until I made it a priority to ground myself in what was with me right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the challenge for us this Lent. Try not to worry about what you're going to wear on Easter and how, you know, all the things and what you're going to cook. I mean, that's fun. And that's holy for so many people, but I would say focus on each day as we move through Holy Week and experience it in that way. One of my favorite parts of Holy Week is Holy Saturday. And the reason I like Holy Saturday 
is that I think we are in a eternal time of Holy Saturday. We're in a period of not knowing. We're a period of waiting, hoping. A lot of the times we just don't have the words. So on that day, I gather with the children in our community and we plant gardens. We do what we call Easter Grace Gardens, and that's another strategy I put in the book. And we do Easter Grace Gardens. Everybody gets a little pot. I supply all the things, and we have a little tomb, fish houses for aquariums. And they look beautiful, and they're just rocks with an entryway. Yeah. So those are just those little practices of planting, of hooking something special, simple, of tearing up pieces of paper and and putting them back together. I mean, none of that is rocket science, but it's amazing how the depth that that kind of thing can touch you. We can become easily deluded or confused to think that spiritual practices have to be complicated. Right. I think of all of the stories that Jesus told, Jesus told stories about everyday life. And everyday circumstances and use the resources and the experiences of people's daily lives to tell the story of hope and resurrection and love. Right, right. People had sheep and people planted seeds and people fished. I love that. And so often we think it has to be this like complicated, same thing with prayer. We fall victim to our own thing of these beautiful prayers that we pray. You know, I'm from the Episcopal tradition and they're beautiful prayers and, and, and all of that. And I do read them and share them. But I also love the idea of, you know, sitting around a campfire and cooking fish and knowing that Jesus didn't speak in old English and those kinds of things. And Absolutely not. <laughs> right. I mean, come on. And so the just simplicity, simple doesn't mean bad. Simplicity is something that I think we all are longing for in so many ways. It's a gift to be simple. Yes. You've got a song for every little comment. That's excellent. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be right by my, my grandfather if I didn't. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's the part of us still feeling very connected. Yeah. yeah. Quite honestly. And so... That for me, you know, having songs to hold on to and songs to make me feel connected is one spiritual practice that has been helpful for me, but also art is part of that. Mm -hmm. And while folks might not be all into tattoo culture, also (laughs) for me, tattoos thing, I'm sure we could talk about this all day long, but I also have bird tattoos on my left arm. I have a sparrow, I have a raven, and I have a robin, all for significant reasons. But I hear you too, Roger, (laughs) have a bird on your arm. I do. Could you tell us the story of where this came from? Sure. This would be a, a means of encouraging others too. Well, let me say this. I am not someone you would look at and go, oh, he has a tattoo. And it's not something that I would ever have, you know, I think my mom still can't believe that I did it. But keep in mind, I'm almost 50 and I did this when I was 40. So it totally resonates. <laughs> I know. So, yes, I have a bluebird tattoo on my arm. 
It's really beautiful. And it got there because my wife said to me, I want you to have something that you can see every day that reminds you that you're going to be okay, that spring comes, that resurrection is always present. And she said, what about a tattoo? And I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh man, only cool people have tattoos and I am not a cool person, you know? Um, I also have sort of this body issue stuff. And so as I was moving through my mental health thing, as I, you know, I'd be taking a shower and criticizing myself. I mean, we all have these insecurities that, that we move through life with. So I did a lot of research. I didn't want it to look sort of like a drunk tattoo. So as an artist, I wanted it to be really good. Luckily, living here in Houston, we have a lot of folks who do really amazing work. And I found this guy who had been on the show Ink Masters, and he had placed really high up. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get him to do it. And so I got on his list. It took me about four months to get in to see him. And um, it's not a small tattoo. It takes up most of my forearm. And, and I see it every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm so inspired by it. I remember showing up to work at a church where I work with children, fearful of what the response would be. Luckily, Houston's a way cool city. And the church where I serve, it's a melting pot of folks, and it's really wonderful. And I remember people looking at it and wanting to touch it and see it and ask me questions about it. And I take it back to what we say during baptism when we say you are marked as Christ's own forever. And so I wrote about the tattoo in the Art of Calm in the chapter called Marked. How are we marked as Christ's own forever? And for me, this is just a reminder, and it hurt, and that hurt was also okay. You know, it was four hours of laying there thinking about my journey as I received this tattoo on my arm. So if folks want to see what this tattoo looks like and hear some more about it, I've shared about it on my Instagram. And so if folks are interested in checking it out, um, my Instagram is Roger Hutchison Books scroll down, you'll see it. So we can connect over bird tattoos yes. and for prayer practices of everyday beauty. Yeah. And I'm really thankful for this conversation about spring and new life and resurrection. I really appreciate Raja, you sharing so vulnerably this chapter of your life mm -hmm. so that other folks can no, it's okay not to be okay, but to still look for uh, hope. Yeah. The last thing I want to share is, you know, especially for me growing up and men growing up, but women as well, um, all my siblings, tears. Tears are something that I wasn't always encouraged uh, to express. And so uh, for me over the past four years, especially, there have been a lot of tears. And one of the neat things that has connected me to Jesus in the story, uh, you know, in the Holy Weekend and the Passion, the Passion is a love so strong that it hurts and that Jesus cried, you know, tears of blood. That to me is hopeful that I can have the permission and, and the invitation to, to weep when I need to weep to celebrate when I need to celebrate. And, and I just love that this week is a week that sort of touches on all of that. Don't rush through it. Uh, that's what I would encourage folks. Don't rush through it. Experience daily 
the story. Yes, indeed. So as we go on this hunt for love, we need to remember that everything is prayer, yeah. um, that there's space for all of the human experience that we have. And I can't help myself because I just think it's so profound. Thank you to the bear hunt writer, but I'm going to pivot it once more. We're going on a love hunt. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We must go through it to bring it forward. That's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. May love and beauty and life of this season of resurrection be with you, Roger. I'm so excited for Sparrow's Prayer and for the Art of Calm as they enter the world. Thank you. One more time, where can people find you and learn more about your work? Certainly. Uh, Instagram is where I do a lot of my work. I'm very visual, so I put a lot of work out there. Uh, and it's Roger Hutchison Books, at Roger Hutchison Books. And that's also my website, rogerhutchisonbooks.com. So folks can always go there. I've got a newsletter folks can join. Uh, I don't torture people with lots of emails, but every now and then I'll think of something to send your way. And you're working with Beaming Books, correct? Yeah, so Beaming Books did the Spheres Prayer. Beaming Books is an imprint of 1517 Media. And the Art of Calm is with Church Publishing. And Church Publishing is the publishing house for the Episcopal Church, but they do broad trade books as well. So this is part of that. And so this, although it is written from the perspective of a Christian person who's grown up in the, the Christian church, my goal with all that I do is to write something that is invitational and available to all. I've already received word that the Art of Calm is being translated into Arabic. What? There's a publishing house in Kuwait who has bought the rights to publish it in Arabic. And so think about that, that a book from a Christian perspective on mental health is going to be available now in that way as well. I stand back and go, really? I cannot believe that that is happening. But it is. And so I just celebrate that as well. Yeah. Life keeps surprising us and showing up in ways we never expected. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much, Roger, for being here with us at Holy Shenanigans Podcast. This is your second time with us. It is. <laughs> I love that. I love this podcast. I'm very proud of what you've done. And I celebrate with you. How many episodes is this? I think this is 134. Wow. It's amazing. So congratulations to you as well. You are officially twice over a whole Navigator. Thank you, Roger. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. To all of our listeners, we pray and hope for you to have some calm and some peace and be able to experience some joy and new life resurrection this Easter season. Peace be with you, but you know what? Peace is with you. You just have to see it and hear it and take time to be aware of it. Yeah. Be well. Thank you.